This month, our theme has been on the statement by Jesus saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And last week, we concentrated on the first part where we talked about how Jesus is the way. And this week, we're going to look at the second part, which is when he says, I am the truth. We're going to look at that today and look at what Jesus meant when he said that he is the truth. In another scripture, he says, no man cometh to the Father. The second part says, but by me. And I've come to realize how the reality of that word in studying the scripture. So we're going to look at that in depth today. So the first week we talked about, last week about Jesus being the way. That it's not through Buddha, it's not through Confucius, it's not through Muhammad. As far as I know, all those people have tombs. And they got bodies in those tombs. But at the tomb in Jerusalem, there is no body. Amen. Because on the third day, he rose up. And the Bible says he was seen by more than 500 people. That's, that's more than enough to, to convict, I think. Amen. To tell us what the truth is. So this week we're going to look at, at the, the aspect of, of Jesus to do with the truth. Amen. And then next week we're going to look at the life. And then the last week we're going to look in detail at the, script, this, the part that he said, when no man comes to the Father but by me. You know, there's always a beginning. And there's two beginnings in the Bible. There's the Genesis beginning when it says in the beginning, God. And then there's the New Testament beginning, which you find in John. And it says this, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And I just wanted to illustrate it. See all these words these titles for Jesus, the first begotten, the I am, the Alpha and Omega, the Holy One, the righteous servant, the branch, amen, the Alpha and Omega, as I said, the, the, the way, the truth, and the life. That, that was the Word becoming flesh, amen. That was the Word becoming flesh. John 1.17 says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's really... An amazing statement, isn't it? I've taught on that before because you would think it would say the law was given by God. It's strange that it says the law was given by Moses. In fact, when they found that woman caught in the very act of adultery, they cited Moses. They said Moses said that she should be what? That she should. It's strange they didn't say God said that she should be stoned. Isn't that interesting? That's for a Tuesday night Bible study. We'll get into that one Tuesday night. But the word was made flesh. The thought, the logos was made flesh. And John gives the the New Testament beginning of Jesus being in the world and the world knew him not. It says the world was made by him and the world knew him not. And John 1.17 goes on to say, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. As I've said right now, how do you get truth? How do you, how do you know truth? How do you take in truth? Yes, but how do you take in truth? Through your senses. You take in truth of the stove being hot by what sense? Touch. And some you can feel it. You take in truth through your senses. Without your senses... You couldn't take in truth. If you were blind, there would be a whole region of truth you couldn't take in. Isn't that right? You could no longer see. Sight gives us warning, right? Sight gives us long-distance information. We can see a red traffic light a long time before we get there. If you didn't have sight, then you wouldn't be able to be warned of some danger. If you didn't have your senses, you could not take in any kind of truth. But let's look at the first time that that word is mentioned in the whole Bible. And it's actually to do with the story of Eleazar. Who knows who was Eleazar in the Old Testament? 
He was a priest, but the first time uh, that name is mentioned, who, who does it concern? That's right. You, you can't answer. <laughs> Abraham wanted a wife for his son Isaac. And he said he had no heir and he wanted to get his servant to go and get a wife for his son. So he called his servant. And, you know, it doesn't tell us the name in the story of the servant. just calls him his servant, his head servant. And he makes him swear that he won't let Isaac marry any of the Canaanite women. That he has to go back to his family and find a, a wife for him. So the servant, the unnamed servant, takes ten camels because Abraham was a very rich man. And he takes gold and he takes gifts. And he goes back. And he comes into the town where Abraham came from. And he comes up to the well just outside of town. And he's wondering, how am I going to go about doing this? I don't know anyone in this town. How am I going to find a wife for Abraham? And here's what happens. Genesis 24, 26. And the man bowed bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. That's the first time in the scripture that the word truth is mentioned. Because he came into town and he came with his ten camels and it was a long journey. Camels can drink a lot of water. You know what he said? Lord, let whoever, the first woman that will come and give me water for me and my camels. That was no short cup of water. That was no little time. To water 10 camels, camels could drink gallons. Those buckets probably couldn't hold more than about two or three gallons. Do you know how many times she had to put the bucket down? And so when this event happened, he knew that this was a sign from God. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master, Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth, I being in the way. Do you see what it does here? It connects those two words that Jesus said. I being in the way and his truth, I being in the way. Now, it's not in this scripture we know his name. It's not in, I think it's in Genesis 15 we learn the name of his servant and his name is Eleazar and that means helper, comforter. Do you understand what God is doing in this simple story? He's using Abraham as the father who sends the helper, the comforter, for his bride. Do you see how God set this up? See, the comforter is coming for the bride. And so, no doubt, this is why it says, my master of his mercy and his truth, I being in the way. His name means comforter, helper. And we see that God set this story up where the father, that's what Abraham's name means, father of many nations. Before that, his name Abram just meant exalted father or high father. But in the story, the father is sending Eleazar, the comforter, to get his wife. And you know the story, how it, how it goes. Isaac is sitting by a well. And it's not just any well. The name of the well is El Roy Hai. It means the well of living water. And that's where he meets his wife. Isn't that amazing? See, God set this up. The Bible said these things in the Old Testament were there for our learning. God put all these little symbols and breadcrumbs to help us to understand what he was going to do in the future. That the Holy Spirit... It's called what? The comforter, but it's, it's really bedrock definition is the spirit of truth. This is why Eliezer said, my master of his mercy and his truth, I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. When you are following the spirit of truth, what does the scripture say? You will be led into all truth. Amen. So that was the first time in the Old Testament that that word truth 
was mentioned. Now, before that, we have some deception, which we're going to come to a little bit later. But the second big event when this question of, of, of knowing truth, because today everything is fake, right? Uh, I get so, I shouldn't, I shouldn't get so frustrated and, and upset, but sometimes I, I look on Facebook and I see some stuff written and, it, and I'm so tempted. Ooh, I had to really hold myself back last night. I was so tempted to just give them a broadside and tell them, <laughs> tell them a few things. I really was, but I, I really held myself back and I thought, you know what? It's probably not going to do any good. <laughs> what, what is going to happen is going to happen. People who are deceived are going to be deceived. And, uh, and, and, and you're probably not going to get any benefit out of it. So I just held myself back from, from, from what I wanted to say. If you've noticed, I haven't really been commenting too much on Facebook this last year because I've tried to, to dial it back a little bit. Um, but today, there is so much confusion and deception about what is truth that people look at stuff and, and, and you see it plainly and they're saying, you know, it's, it's, it's black when it's really white and it's white when it's really black. And what this is, is the spirit of deception which Jesus and the New Testament prophesies. And it's kind of started really at his crucifixion when he was before Pilate. And let's just read it. John 18, 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. That's why they hated him. As I think Brother Tim said, people don't like you telling them truth. So I, I considered very carefully what I was going to say. And I said, no, you know what? This is not, this is not going to do anything. It's not going to change any minds. It's not going to, you know, it wasn't a scriptural thing. So I said, okay, I'm not going to say anything. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Did you hear what Jesus said? Everyone that is of the truth is going to hear his voice. Pilate then said unto him, what is truth? What is truth? And then when he said that, he went out and he said, I can't find no fault in him. Because I tell you what, there is nothing wrong with truth. There is no fault in truth. So the question today is, what is truth? What, you know, if you were to look up a a dictionary definition of truth, it's kind of nerdy. Because it's actually a difficult thing to be precise about. Anyone care to give me a definition of truth? No bad answers. I'm not tricking you or anything. What is truth? Can we answer Pilate today? Sister Deborah. Honesty? Okay. Anyone else? Clarity? Okay. Anyone else? How would you define truth? Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? How would you have answered him? The, the, sorry? Undisputable. Okay. Undisputable. Okay. Undisputable. And yet, there's people who will dispute it. You would think it's undisputable. And yet, today there will be people who will dispute truth and call it something else. In fact, the Bible says they turned the truth of God into a lie. But you're right. That's a, that's a, all of these words are part of the definition of truth. Just, just so I, I didn't uh, send you a lie, I took, I took a, a, one of the definitions. And here's the definition from Wikipedia. It says, truth is the property of being in accord In other words, alignment with fact or reality. In everyday language, truth is typically ascribed to things that aim to represent reality or otherwise correspond to it, such as beliefs, propositions, which that just means statements, and declarative sentences. I told you it can get nerdy if you try and define it. Um, So let let me give my definition. Truth... Actually, truth actually 
gives us knowledge that informs us, informs us of whatever is around us. Remember what I said about sight? You close your eyes, you can no longer see. So there's a whole mess of truth that you're not seeing. And without it, you try getting from there over to there, and you're going to have difficulty. Why not? Because you're lacking some knowledge that came through the truth of what you're seeing. You get what I'm saying? And an example of, of this fact that truth always is tied to knowledge. Truth is always tied to knowledge. I'll give you an example. If I say it's raining outside and it is raining, not only would that be a true statement, but it is giving you some knowledge. If I say it's raining outside and you're about to go out, what would it be wise to do? Take an umbrella. Because now you have some knowledge, you can take some different actions. Truth will always bring knowledge. If I say 6 times 6 equals 36, that's true. But there was a first time, maybe you were in kindergarten, where you heard that. And it gave you knowledge. Now we, we don't think of it as knowledge, but there was a first time when you did your times tables. I don't know if they teach that way anymore. Do they teach that way anymore? Two times two is four. Two time. Well, when I was growing up, they used to teach you your times table. The point I'm making is one definition of truth is that it will always give you knowledge of what's outside of yourself, right? It will always give you knowledge of what's outside of yourself. Let's look at deception, though. Maybe we can learn something about truth by how deception works. And, of course, deception was really early in the Bible, of course, right? It's in Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall he touch it, lest he die. Now here's the first lie. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. So lies and deception are false knowledge. The opposite of truth, it will be true knowledge, something that can help you, something that actually uh, can, can help you in your actions, in whatever you're going to do. But lies will always be the opposite. It will be false knowledge, something that actually is going to hurt you, something that in this case was going to cause them to lose their spirit covering. So that is one definition of the difference between truth. Truth will always inform you. Truth will always enlighten you. Lies will always confuse you. Lies will always obscure you. Lies will put you in darkness. And that's why then deception is really false knowledge. Because what he was saying was it's not going to kill you. In complete contradiction to what God's word was saying. And so it shows you a definition of lies and truth. Truth will inform you. Truth will guide you. Lies will give you false knowledge. Let's look at the actual Bible definition and see how that lines up with what I'm saying. In Psalms 119 verse 160, it says, Thy word is true. From the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. The biblical standard for truth is just simply, and somebody said it, God's word. Whatever God says, by definition, that's truth. Amen. The Bible definition doesn't try to be too nerdy. It just says God's word is truth. But here's the benefit. God's word does also bring knowledge. God's word does bring light. Doesn't, what, doesn't that what Psalms 119 says? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. What does light do? It shows you truth. It shows you where your next step is going to be. It shows you where to avoid the, the potholes. So again, even God's word brings us knowledge. 
Psalms 119, 142, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. So the Bible doesn't try and come up with any nerdy definitions. It just says God's word is truth. Whatever God declares to be true, that is truth. In, in the New Testament, here's what Jesus gives his definition in John 17, 15, when he was praying for his disciples and through them also praying for us. Because he said, I don't pray for them alone. I pray for all those who through their word would also be saved. So this prayer is for you. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out the world. Boy, I wish he hadn't prayed that. <laughs> There's many times I just want to, I want to hop off the bus. <laughs> I want to stop the train. I don't want to go where this is taking me. But he said, I pray that thou would keep them out of the world. They should take them out of the world, but thou should keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And now here's verse 17. It says, sanctify them through thy truth. Here it is again. Thy word is truth. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament definition of what is true lines up. And it shows us, though, something about truth. Truth separates. Truth is going to... That's what the word sanctify means. It means to separate. You can't both believe the same thing and it's opposite, and they both be true. In the world today, they, they want it to have it both ways. Your truth is true, and my truth is true. But that it does not work. It can't work that way. There is only one truth, and that's God's Word. The, another scripture says that the whole world be, be a lies, right? And God's Word be true, to paraphrase. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Once Jesus started to gather disciples, it separated them. They started saying, well, your disciples do this. I notice your disciples, when they eat, they don't wash their hands. And he said, you know what? I want to tell you something. It's not what goes in. It's what comes out. That's so deep and profound. It's so, it's so not what we would think. But there's truth right there. He says it's what comes out is what defiles a man. They couldn't handle Jesus' truth because it's separated. What Jesus did when he called his disciples, it separated them. And he was separating them through himself because the first slide I showed was that he was the living word, the word incarnate. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, there's something interesting to note about about what Jesus said in that, in that comment. He didn't say truths, plural. He said the truth. Let's look at it again here in Greek texts of John 14, 6. Now, the whole chapter of John 14 in context was at the upper room. He had just started to tell them that he was going to go away. And they were getting confused and a bit upset. Because even though he'd been telling them everything, they still hadn't got it. It hadn't sunk anything. He finally convinced them, listen, I'm going away. But don't you be worried, right? The first, first verse is, let not your heart be troubled. Because he had just told them, listen, he'd washed their feet. And they had had the, the supper. There was only 11 of them now. Judas had gone out. And he started telling them that he was going to leave them. And where he was going, they couldn't follow right away. And it's this chapter where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now you notice, it's the truth. There is only one truth. It's not multiple truth. It, in the Greek, it, it uses the definite article. I put it there, aletheia. And so this indicates when he says, I am the way and the truth, he was speaking of himself. He wasn't speaking of some sentence or some some other kind of knowledge. He was speaking of him. Jesus is the truth. You don't have Jesus. You do not have the truth. <laughs> he didn't say truths. He said the truth, meaning one, meaning him. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And as I said in John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, why does it say that? Wasn't there, wasn't there um, truth in the law too? Yes. 
But remember what I said, the, one of the best definitions of truth is, what does truth do? Knowledge, right? They had very limited knowledge of relationship with Christ under the law. All they knew is all these ceremonies. Okay, you have to bring your turtle dove and you have to bring your goat and you have to sacrifice. But they did not have that relationship. They could not come close to the tabernacle. Their, their knowledge was very limited until Jesus came. Last week we, we described what happened when he said it is finished. And the veil of the temple tore in two. You know what I was doing that was saying the way was now made plain. In Hebrews it said all of these things could not be shown while they still stood. And so God had in fact to take away the ark of the tabernacle so they didn't worship it as a box. Because he told the woman, listen, it's not in Jerusalem or in this mountain, but right in front of you right now is the one that you should worship. Because if you would ask of me, because I'm the truth. You know what? She, she went home and said, I met a man who told me everything that I had ever done. You know what he was representing? The truth. She tried to skirt around the truth and kind of be deceptive, but... He, he said, yeah, you, 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 you're right. You're telling the truth, kind of. You don't have one husband. You, you got five. And the one you're with now isn't even really your husband. I can imagine her face when he said that. But she realized when she was confronted with the truth. And the reason why it says that grace and truth came from Jesus Christ was because he brought a complete new light. He, he brought a light that was not the shadow or the image, but the very thing itself. The very thing itself. So now the Bible tells us that when we get truth, it makes us free. Knowledge makes you free. You're not afraid if you know something, right? You know the scary movies? It's when you don't know what the monster looks like. It's the scariest. No matter how ugly the thing is, once you see it, okay, well, it's got four feet. Or whatever. If the scary moves is the one where you don't, you can't see what the monster looks like. Have you noticed that? Once you see it, no matter how ugly and fierce it is, there it is. <laughs> so the Bible is asking us, what makes you free? John eight thirty one. Yes, it's the truth. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, "If you continue in my word, which is the truth." Then you be are my disciples indeed. That means in truly. And ye shall then know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. You understand that, that, that the truth about God's grace and his uh, death at Calvary and the fact that he has forgiven us is what makes us free. We know are no longer, Paul says in Romans 8, the servant to sin. We don't have to be the servant to sin. Because he goes on in verse 35, and the servant abideth not in the house forever. You know, people change servants, but the house belongs to the son. Come on, the house belongs to the son. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. What makes us free is when we know the truth, but not just knowing the truth. Because there are people who know the truth, but still don't do anything about it. Knowing to the point of acting on the truth. Like if I told you, and one of these Sundays I'll do it. <laughs> I forgot to do it. I'll put a $100 bill up here. I'll put a $100 bill under one of these pots and I'll say the first one comes and can have the $100 bill. See, now, if you believe me, you'll come and get it. Because the fact that you believe me means you're going to act on it if you want the, the, the bill, right? So the fact that we believe Jesus can't be by itself. You want to act on it. If someone tells you you got a million dollars, all you have to do is go down to the bank and sign your name. If you believe them, what are you going to do? you will find the fastest means possible and you'll camp out overnight if need be. And as soon as the door opens, you'll be number one there to sign. You'll make sure the pen works. You'll, 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 you'll do whatever it takes because you believe. When we believe truth, then we act on it. Now, as Christians, we've been told all kinds of stuff. 
God's word tells us all kinds of stuff. Now, this is a measuring stick. How much of it do you believe? How much of it have you acted upon as if you believe? Could you be convicted of believing everything that the, the word says? Sometimes I'll say no. Sometimes my faith gets low. And God has to smack me up inside the head and say, how, what's wrong with you? Can't you see what I did for you? And he starts to remind me of the miracles and the grace and the love that he has given me. I think about the times when I came this close to dying. When the car came across the median, and I'm sorry I keep telling the same story, but that way you know it's true. I'm not making it up. The car came across the freeway straight at me at 80 miles an hour. I mean, straight at me. I didn't even have time to think it was that, it was that fast. I only started shaking afterwards. And at the last minute, it's like something pushed him out the way and he flew by me right in the middle of the median, in the grass. So God will remind you, he'll bring back. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. It says he will bring back to your remembrance. Bring back to your remembrance. I heard a preacher the other day was speaking about, you know, people criticize the authenticity of the first four books of the New Testament because many of them were written many, many years after the event. In fact, Matthew was probably written 30 years after the event. But what in this one chapter of John chapter 14, Jesus starts telling them, he's telling them he's going away, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. And then he starts to tell them a little bit about the comforter, what it's going to do. And I'm sure at the time they're listening, because they haven't got the spirit yet. They're listening, but they're not understanding what this comforter is going to do and what its power is. They're hearing what he's saying. It's going to bring back to your memory everything that I've told you. That's why I can imagine 30 years later, Matthew is moved by the spirit to get his pen and scroll and he starts writing down the words of Jesus. And he's doing it perfectly. You know why? Because the spirit is bringing it back to his remembrance. The spirit of truth. Not the spirit of lies and deception. But the spirit. That's how they were able to do this. Because Jesus told them it was going to happen. And I can imagine Matthew as he's starting to write saying, Man, I didn't even remember this. Where's this coming from? And then he remembers the night at the Lord's Supper where Jesus was explaining what this spirit, this comforter was going to do. That it was going to bring back to your memory everything that I have told you. Because that's how the spirit works. We're in a time, though, of strong delusion. People are believing all kinds of stuff. Right now, I was asked by a pastor of a, of a church in our fellowship. Uh, there was a a brother in that church who has gotten caught up. This is actually the second time in some doctrines that uh, are not helpful. Let's just put it that way. And I started researching it because he wanted me to, to talk with this brother. And I started researching it. And it just blew my mind how people can get caught up into such strange things. Strange fire. The Bible says in latter days they will have doctrines that come from seducing spirits. And by themselves, they may not be something that bad. But, you know, it's like I told you the story with the, the brownies and the poop, right? You remember that? For those of you who haven't heard that story, I'll tell it again. You know, a father had some daughters, and they want to go watch an R-rated movie. And he said, no, I don't think that's a good idea. I really don't think you could. They said, oh, Dad, it's just got a, just a tiny little bit of you know, violence and sex and cussing, just a tiny little bit. And he said, no, I don't think that's a good... Anyway, they went and watched it. When they, when, he came, when they came home, he had cooked them some brownies. And they said, oh, Dad, you're the greatest. We were so hungry. And he said, but just one minute. It's got just a tiny little bit of poop, just a tiny little bit. <laughs> you still want to eat it? Jesus said, it's a little leaven. It's not how much truth you have. It's how much error you have. There's so many uh, different 
belief systems out there, and many of them, all of, nearly all of them think murder is bad, stealing is bad, and they have so many things in common that, you know, people say, can't we all just get along and get... We can to an extent, but truth sanctifies. Truth will separate. Truth will divide. In fact, Jesus prophesied, or it's prophesied actually by Paul through the Holy Spirit, that in the last days they would come strong delusion. Let's look at that. Thessalonians 2.8. And this is just before the revelation of the Antichrist, so you know how close we are. Because there is no arbiter or person of truth that people trust anymore. They don't trust Supreme Court. Don't trust the president. They don't trust whoever. In fact, even the Bible, people are not trusting it now. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and he shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and what? You can't trust miracles now either. You understand that? Just because somebody over here saying, I'm raising the dead or opening eyes, what is the word they're giving? What is the word they're giving? Does the word match God's word? Doesn't matter what miracles they're doing, if it doesn't match God's word. Because, verse 10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. And the reason is because they receive not the love of the truth. You have to love truth. You have to love, you have to have a love of the truth. When you're wrong, you have to be very willing to acknowledge that you're wrong. You have to, you have to run to truth. And for this cause, because they reject truth, the Bible says God is going to send them strong. It's going to look so right. It's a strong delusion. It's going to look so believable that they should believe a lie and that they all might be damned who believed not the truth. There's a very great danger in rejecting truth. There, probably it's the greatest danger. In fact, it's, it's prophesied even in the Old Testament in Daniel's, Daniel chapter uh, 8, one of the most amazing scriptures, and I, I say that about all the scriptures, but let's just read it. At the time of the end, he's saying about the Antichrist, what he's going to do. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the hosts of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Verse 11. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Now this is all mystery and stuff, and I'm not going to go into all of it now, you see. Because Jesus told his disciples, it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. So God has not made plain all his plans. It's only revealed through the Spirit. Because he doesn't want Satan to know either what he's going to do. And an host was given to him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. Here's the part. And it cast down the truth to the ground. See, the Antichrist is going to claim to be God. And when he really gets where he wants to go, he's going to say he is God. He is going to demand worship. And here's the amazing thing. People are going to believe him. People are going to believe him. Verse 13, and I heard one saint speaking to another saint saying, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation? And he gives a a time, and that's the three and a half years there. What I'm saying is we're in an age of deception. You've got to hold fast to the core beliefs. You've got to hold fast to things that matter as far as salvation. Whether you understand some strange prophecy or not, not going to save you. What you need to be saved is what Jesus told Nicodemus. See, Satan was the origin of this deception. The Bible says he was perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. 
And by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled thee with violence that has sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee out as profane out of the mountain of God. Verse 17 says, thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. The origin of deception then is self-deception. I'm so beautiful. I got it. I have great revelations. I'm better than the other pastor. (laughs) It's so easy. It's so easy to think you are something. Right? That's why Paul said God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Lest he should be exalted above measure. Why? Because of the surpassing great revelations. That's 2 Corinthians 12. See, Satan, first deception was self-deception. I'm going to be like God. I'm so beautiful. I should be the number one. That's the trouble is when you deceive yourself. The Bible says the heart is what? Exceedingly wicked. And, and, and it's easy to deceive yourself. That's why I have to look myself in the mirror and just keep telling me, telling, listen, you're nobody because without Christ you're nothing. So the first deception was self-deception. He lied to himself. When you do that, all your wisdom, all your reason goes. And it's so easy to, to believe, uh, you know, that stuff. Because we all want to hear some good stuff about us. Come on now. You're looking good. <laughs> Whoever never wanted to hear that. <laughs> Amen. His first self-deception was, I shall be God. Now, all of this then, when you get to that point and you reject truth, this is when you can commit that unforgivable sin. Because in rejecting Christ, choosing to reject Christ, what you're doing is choosing to reject truth. Let's look at that a little bit more. The unforgivable sin is not murder. You can be forgiven of that. It's not adultery. You can be forgiven of that. David was forgiven of that. It's not theft. Uh, It may be unforgiveness. That could be part of it. Jesus said, unless you forgive, your heavenly father won't do what? Won't forgive you. It's not even pride. You can humble yourself. In fact, the greatest example of someone who was lifted up in pride having a, uh, a turnabout was Manasseh. The Bible says he was the wickedest king that ever lived in Israel. And yet when he came to his senses and truly humbled himself and repented, God did a miracle. He, he had been taken captive into Nineveh and was put in prison by the Assyrians. And God directed them to free him and put him back as king. And in the end, Manasseh had the longest reign. He reigned longer than David. He reigned longer than, than Solomon. Why? Because he repented, showing God's mercy. But Hebrews 6.4 starts to outline when you reject truth, what happens. It says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. What's enlightened means? means you've seen light. You know, if you've seen light, you've seen light. So you can't commit this sin if you haven't seen light. The Bible says, and have tasted of the heavenly gift. You have had to have an, 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 a real experience with God. And were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance. Seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh. And put him to an open shame. Now this doesn't just mean backslide. Or stop coming to church. This is when you deny the reality of what you experienced. Even when you know it's true. It's knowing it's true but saying it's not. It's like I've, I've used this example. Trying to wake someone who's pretending to be asleep. You know they're not asleep. They know they're not asleep. So you're wasting your time. See, God is never going to make you a robot. You're going to have to freely choose him. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's not going to beat down your door. You're going to have to 
open. He says, behold, if any man open, we will come in. Jesus is never going to force you to love him. In fact, that's impossible. Love has to be a free choice. But if you have known the truth and absolutely know it to be true, but then you are denying it by saying and acting it, then you've gone to this place where you're denying revealed truth. In the Old Testament, you could get forgiveness for certain sins. Unintentional, accidental sins, you could get forgiveness. Even deliberate sins, premeditated sins, you could get forgiveness if it was against your fellow man. Right? It was called a trespass offering. You could bring a trespass offering. But to get forgiveness, you had to confess and you had to restore. You had to make restitution. So you had to confess and you had to restore. But there was one sin you could not get forgiveness if it was against God himself directly, the spirit of truth. You could not get. Why? Because if it was an intentional and deliberate, there was no forgiveness. So even in the Old Testament, the New Testament, God has not changed. Jesus said, you could say anything you like against me. You know why? Because he had become man. He had become man. So the trespass was now against the man Christ Jesus. You could say anything against him and you could still get forgiveness. But the spirit of truth... Because it's revealed truth. It's denying revealed truth. That's what it is. Blasphemy against the spirit of truth. The example in the New Testament, which I've taught on before, I think is in Matthew 8, where Jesus had cast out the devils out of this man who was possessed of devils. And the Pharisees absolutely knew that this was the work of God. They absolutely, what they hadn't, nobody had to, they knew it, but what did they say? Oh, he does this by Beelzebub. Jesus knew they knew. They knew they knew. There's nothing more to be done. You are just choosing to reject truth. See, as long as you don't know truth, God is going to be merciful. In fact, the very soldiers that crucified him, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. Why? They don't understand what they're doing. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. But if you do know what you're doing and you have tasted where you you absolutely know the truth, that's when you come to this danger. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew they didn't believe what they were saying. And said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? See, he was explaining to them, listen, I know what you're thinking. I know you really don't actually believe what you're saying. You know who does that today? I shouldn't say politicians. Matthew twelve thirty one. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. But that's not an easy sin to commit. As I said, you can, you can backslide, you can... You can, you can stop coming to church. You can, you can, you know, if I backslid, you know how I'd, I'd be saying, well, I just couldn't live it, but it's true. I just wasn't able to do it. See, that's not the sin that's not forgivable. It's when you say it's not true, even though you know it to be. See, it's really rejecting Christ. Remember what Pilate said, what is truth? He asked him, who are you? And then he understood that what Jesus was really saying is, I am truth. And he says, what is truth? But he knew in his heart that this man should not be crucified. He went outside and said, listen, I find no fault in him. The thing that we have to focus on is not all the distractions of all different various doctrines and every bright and shiny thing you find on YouTube or Netflix or Hulu. We have to stick to the core truth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be, that's the truth. That's the truth. That's, uh, forget prophecies, forget when the rapture is, forget everything else. He must be born again. Whether you know what the time is, does not matter. He must be born again. Mark 16, 16, here's truth. He that believeth and acts upon it is baptized, shall be saved. And he that believeth not shall be damned. And it goes on to say, these signs shall follow them that believe. We're talking about the person of truth. Jesus, and I'm finishing up here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You see, he was trying to tell them something in this last little comfort session. Because remember now where this was. This was in the upper room. Judas had gone and he was saying, I'm going away, but I'm sending you the spirit of truth. That's why they were able to write these texts 20, 30 years and still have it perfectly, remembering every word. That's why they were able to write it down because he said, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth and he is going to bring back to your memory everything that I have told you. If you could stand with me. Verse 5, and in him was life. The life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not see whether there be all these other things the one thing you got to hold on to is the person of jesus christ because without him we are not going to see the father next week we're going to go into that where he says no man cometh he's the life and then no man cometh to the father but by me amen hallelujah because he is the person of truth. Hallelujah. Uh, we're going to close this service. I'm sorry we, we ran out of time for, for comments and questions, but we'll do it next week. Amen. But I want you to know that Jesus is coming back soon. Don't be distracted by what's going on around us because he is coming back very soon. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word is truth. We thank you, oh God, for speaking to us this morning. Lord, we ask you to let your presence, hallelujah, and anointing break every chain to lift us up, to set us upon the rock that is you, Lord God. Hallelujah, that we will understand your truth, that you will shine your light into our lives, oh God, and give us direction. Bring back your words of remembrance into our minds, Lord God. Lord, we ask for your blessing in our second service, and we lift up your your name in praise for you are the way the truth and the life and we give you all the glory in jesus name let's do that right now hallelujah 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 amen amen, amen.